the 13th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Lots on this episode to discuss. We're going to continue on with our recaps of The Last Dance Bulls documentary. Uh, Michael Jordan going through that last season as they uh, look for the the three-peat for the second time. So we get into that one. These two episodes discuss a lot of things about Michael Jordan's father being uh, murdered his first retirement from the NBA, him going to play baseball in the minor leagues. So we'll get through all of that. And then we're going to talk some uh, some WWE. We had Money in the Bank over the weekend, and then Monday Night Raw on Monday, really good. What I like is that it looks like they're kind of um, getting behind a couple new stars, and they're giving them a good push, which is good. And then uh, Becky Lynch, one of the, the main stars in WWE of the last couple of years, she's pregnant, so she had to drop the title. We'll talk all about that with Chad Cooper. Then we're going to get some horse racing in. There's a mandatory pick five payout uh, at Fawner Park. It's going to be a huge pool on Wednesday, so we're going to discuss that late pick five sequence. There's a mandatory pick six pool on Thursday, the payout at Golden Gate. Um, that one's going to be huge into a couple million most likely. We're going to go through that pick six sequence. We'll give you a couple plays for Gulfstream Park for Thursday, and then we'll close things out with a recap of Billions. Before we get into our uh, our segments that we have laid out, just one bit of news, sad news, want to do a report. Um, Jerry Stiller passed away, father of Ben Stiller, 92 years old, and... A lot of us remember him from uh, Seinfeld, you know, playing uh, George's dad, Frank Costanza. And then, it, like, almost immediately after Seinfeld, he was on the the King of Queens as Arthur Spooner. So that is probably where most people remember him from. Those were two big roles that encompassed quite a, a bit of his career. But he was in a ton of movies. He's been a comedian for a long time. Um, he's been in, in some, th- you know, on Broadway a bunch, movies, TV. He did a heck of a lot of TV and, you know, great cameos and stuff like Zoolander, uh, Heavyweights, Heartbreak Kid. And uh, he, he got into voiceover work also later on uh, in his career. So 92 years old. Jerry Stiller, rest in peace, Jerry. You uh, you made many folks laugh through your years. You did a hell of a job. Um, we're gonna be uh, watching you for years to come on reruns of uh, of Seinfeld and The King of Queens. Let's get into the uh, ESPN Last Dance documentary. So we're on to it's a ten part series. We are on to episodes seven and eight. It's they. I think they've done a really good job of, of building them, right? Like, in an in order of, I mean, I guess importance. But it just felt like last week's was I thought the best of the three weeks so far, getting parts five and six, and then it felt like this week that the parts seven and eight were the best because this information was just. Obviously, stuff that was really important to Michael, the most important to Michael, when we're talking about his father, who was basically like his best friend, also. And we get right into the start of of episode seven. Is right after they the Bulls have won their first uh, three peat. It's nineteen ninety three, and Michael's kind of tired, and you could tell this this like last victory for them was not necessarily as sweet as the other ones. It was more of a it was it was work to get there. And Michael really was, was kind of fed up with the media and everything. 
And and then July 1993, his father gets murdered. And he's not emotional when he talks about very many people, right? He's emotional when he talks about the game, basketball, and what it takes to win, and, and maybe a couple people that he looked up to here and there throughout his life. But the he he gets it's like a different person really when he starts talking about his dad. And they had more of a even like friendship, and you could tell they really just loved each other. His dad was infatuated with him and was so proud of his son and what he had, had come to be. And so what ends up happening is, you know, his father gets murdered and then the media who have all been giving Michael a bunch of crap recently start tying this into, you know, the gambling. Maybe this is Michael's fault. Maybe this has something to do with gambling and Michael being someone who was already fed up with the media, like, I don't know if that was something that pushed him over the edge, but it, it sure did not help. And we, you know, we get to the point where we see Michael um, in October deciding to retire. And, you know, this was a scene in October 93, he's going to retire, and the news gets out the night before because he's at a White Sox game, he throws out the first pitch, and um, there's big rumor about, you know, he's going to be retiring, he's going to have a press conference, and so this press conference is unlike anything, I mean, there these aren't just sports reporters, this, this is like every news reporter, every major outlet... He said 300 reporters, I think, and 100 camera, 100 plus camera people. And we're talking small outlets, big outlets, you name it. And you could tell that he was still really suffering from the loss of his father because he had mentioned it when Michael was discussing his retirement at that at that press conference. And he said um, one of his quotes was the the biggest positive thing I could take out of my father not being here with me today is that he saw my last basketball game. Um, so, you know, then Michael is gone from the NBA and after just winning three championships in a row, the greatest player in the history of the NBA, just like that, everybody thought he was done and he was gone. And, and then the rumors come up that he was secretly suspended, uh, by David Stern for gambling for like a year and a half or whatever it was. Okay. First of all, one if you're going to suspend the guy, wh- like, why is it a year and a half? Why are you letting him come back? And then, you know, like, put, let, like, like, expand on this a little bit. This is someone who you let became, become an owner later on. And then, two, why would you suspend the guy who is your biggest moneymaker and draw? It just doesn't make any sense what, I mean, it, it was just kind of one of those rumors, obviously, that there was a lot of media, like, any, Anything at that time, like you know, you get really good. Everyone wants to bring you down. And I'm not saying Michael's a saint in any way, shape, or form, right? He did a hell of a lot of things wrong. We're going to continue to go into it, too. He's a psychopath. He's a maniac. But he is successful, and that's and and and, and he he wins, so it's okay. Mike Joyce mentioned this too when when he talked about it. If if he wasn't a like a basketball player who wins and wins in at you know as one of the greatest of all time. 
he would be like locked up in a facility somewhere with with some of the the things that he does and some of the things that he creates in his mind and the way he goes at people. But if the ends justify the means, then as some of his teammates say, he was an excellent teammate. If that's what it's all about. So it seems like after Michael retired the first time in '93. One of the things that he was discussing with his dad Before his dad passed away was Possibly playing baseball His dad always wanted Michael to play baseball When they were young he really got him into it And so he kind of Seemed like he felt like this was kind of like a Like a way to honor his father By giving this a go And Michael had just won three titles The Olympics, everything He wasn't really motivated to continue on In the NBA So Jerry, the owner of the Bulls, actually owned the White Sox also. So, Michael Jordan, not having played baseball since high school, he is going to be playing double-A baseball. And what what's crazy about this is, the you know, you, you never bring somebody in to play Double A immediately, right? Like double A is a strong level, and the only reason why he ends up in double A and he's not playing like rookie ball or like lower level is because every game it was such a media circus, and there were so many people that would were going to come to see him. The smaller ballparks couldn't accommodate all of the the media. They couldn't even accommodate the people who were wanting to get in to watch him, and uh, so. He he ends up starting off in in minor league baseball with a 13 game hitting streak, and then what ends up happening? Like anything, they get some film on you. They look at your swing and they realize that you can't hit a breaking ball. So they start throwing him breaking balls, and then he starts to really struggle. But the one thing, no matter what, with Michael Jordan, whatever he was doing, and we find this out about him when you hear all the people, everybody telling stories about him, and whatever he's doing. He wants to not only, you know, get better and better and better, but he wants to beat you. He wants to be the best. So he's taking like four rounds of batting practice a day. He's just learning from, you know, everyone that he can. And it's kind of a a, a cool experience for him because everybody knows him as the, the guy, Michael, but he's not that guy on this team. He's learning from all the other players on this team. They all... um can help him in different ways with all. So there's a lot of young kids that he's having fun with. They're playing ping pong. They're having a good time. This was kind of something that was, you know, this was needed for him to kind of get away from the game a little bit of basketball and realize, um, you know, that he loved it. He loves sports. And he was actually managed in the minor leagues by Terry Francona, the two-time World Series champ, manager of the Boston Red Sox. And he... I mean, Francona had said, you know, with his work ethic and the way that he, you know, kind of improved and progressed throughout a year, he said, you give him, you know, another couple years, he's absolutely a major league ball player. And think about that. I mean, he hadn't even been focusing, practicing, training. He had to change his his entire body from basketball shape into baseball shape to play outfield. And to be honest, he... If there's no strike, if there's no baseball strike, he may 
not have gone back or may it may he may have continued to try to play baseball for a while. He seemed like he was interested in it and he was really give, going, giving it his all and he was really working harder and outworking everybody around him like he did in everything. But but baseball had a strike and they decided to use replacement players and Michael didn't want to do that. So he's sitting out and while he's sitting out, he starts hanging out again with a couple of his old Bulls buddies. And he, he goes and hangs out with BJ Armstrong and they and they get to talking and BJ tells him to come by a practice and they're all messing around and then Michael starts practicing with the team again. And one time becomes two, becomes three, becomes four, and then the rumors flying around is MJ going to be coming back. I really liked this uh you know th- these two episodes that were put together. I, I I really liked a lot of the baseball stuff. It's it's really cool to hear from you know some of uh you know guys like Kerry Francona who've made it big and and he said and it's unbelievable that somebody could come cold like that, not having played baseball, come against legitimate top level like future major league ball players and actually hit two hundred and drive in fifty runs. When we flash back to. You know, because the way that this documentary goes, it kind of flashes back and forth here from you know, and it always ends up going back to that '98 run, and then it'll go back to different times, and and uh, so we see Jordan now when he kind of comes back from baseball and he returns to the Bulls. He it wasn't automatic for for him. And we could see there was a little bit of he wasn't, you know, Superman immediately. And he's got a, a, some new teammates, right? And these teammates, not not initially, but you know, come ninety six after they lose in ninety five. So in ninety five, Jordan comes back towards the end of the season. The Bulls are struggling. They had an awesome ninety four year. In ninety four, without Jordan. The Bulls make it to the Eastern Conference semifinals. They lose in seven games to the Knicks. They win 55 games. Uh, Pippen's like an MVP candidate. They were good, even without MJ. But the following year, they struggled. And they were barely over 500. And then when, when MJ comes back towards the end of the year, he picks them up. He propels them. And they get into the playoffs. And they're playing against a, an Orlando Magic team. That has now Horace Grant, who has, is playing for Orlando after leaving um, that year from the Bulls, and it Michael just wasn't quite in Michael type shape. He wasn't quite good enough in that series. That was a series when he changed his number from uh, back to twenty three. Initially, he didn't want to be number twenty three anymore because he felt like he wasn't that same guy. And um, he said he just felt weird wearing that that other number on, on his back. So we we don't. It's funny when when people talk about Michael Jordan and the all time greatness of of him and how he never. You, you don't hear about the law lo- the losses and and this was one of them, right? They lose to the 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 Shaq Penny Orlando Magic. There's a point eh, where. You know, MJ has a chance to seal the game. The Bulls are up by a, I have one, and he gets a ball stolen from him. And he's just not quite MJ all the way back yet. Still damn good. Still amazing. 
and some of his teammates said that losing that year might have been a blessing in disguise because that is what really motivated Michael from 95 to 96 to get back into the shape that he needed to to be the old Michael. He changed his body back. It wasn't a baseball body anymore. It was going to be a basketball body. He was filming Space Jam and at Warner Brothers they built him a huge gym. Basketball arena basically with weights um I mean everything you could possibly imagine In there that he would need And he would work out all day Film Space Jam And then he'd invite all the players throughout the um, From the NBA And they'd have these awesome scrimmages All throughout the night And he's just working out all day Filming, like, up all night Filming, he's just Getting himself back to Michael Jordan And This is when his drive In that competition Kind of even even like perked up, you know. You hear Will, per- Will Purdue who said he, you know, he got punched by Jordan. He said he was an ass and a jerk. Uh, um, we hear you know Steve Kerr talking about the fight that they had, and one day Jordan was just being a jackass at practice, and Phil was trying to to calm him down a little bit, so he was calling ticky tack fouls, and that only pissed off Michael MJ even more, and so he was kind of getting at it with with Steve Kerr, and then Kerr punched him. Um, and then Michael punched him back And they, they kind of went at it And Kerr said actually you know, That was where they, their relationship got really good afterwards Because Michael respected him for coming at him And Michael realized after you know This was more, more on him And he had to tone himself down even a little bit sometimes Because he, he wanted to win so bad And that's what he says you know, Winning has a price um, I pulled people along that didn't want to be pulled I challenged people that didn't want to be challenged and he said one thing about Michael Jordan He didn't ask me to uh, One thing people will say about Michael Jordan He didn't ask me to do one thing that he didn't do Which is true And that's that's one of the ways When you're a leader And you lead by example like Mike Some people lead it in, in different ways But if you're going to lead the way Mike leads You have to be able to say Look, I'm going to do twice as much as, as I'm asking from all of you I'm going to work twice as hard All I'm asking you to do is work half as hard as I am and he made him better. And they said they, they didn't like him. They were scared of him. A lot of them, you know, they walked on their tiptoes and they walked on eggshells around him. But they know if it wasn't for him, they don't get to the level that they're at. Scottie Pippen talks about it. Uh, Wellington. Um, we hear uh, we hear Purdue talking about it. We hear Kerr talking about it. I mean, they all talk about it. And um, a couple other notes here. He, he was still getting paid $3 million a year by Reinsdorf when he was playing minor league baseball. He said that uh, Michael was always uh, underpaid. So, And um, there was that moment in the 94-95 season where... Um, uh, I guess it was, it was the moment in the 93-94 season when Michael wasn't playing when, when Scotty sat out. He got mad because Phil called up a, a game-winning shot for Kukoc and Sketa for Pippen, and, and Pippen got really upset. So we've seen a couple of these games with Pippen, like the games, the migraine game, and unfortunately that are like a couple of big things you remember for a guy who was like a really good teammate all along. He said he felt like it was an insult coming from Phil. 
yeah, Cartwright had to call him out, and Michael said he didn't know if uh if Scotty's gonna ever live that down. So we get to episode eight, and we see the Bulls in round two of the '98 playoffs, and they're they lose to BJ Armstrong and the Hornets in game two. And BJ just goes off. He has an unbelievable game. He was never like a star player, but he just had one of those games and he kind of knew um about the Bulls being with them for their, you know, previous uh title runs and so he goes off. Uh, they win and he kind of talks a little bit of smack to Michael, which you would think that BJ, having been a former Bull, would uh would understand and, and would not go down that road. Unfortunately, he did go down that road, and the Bulls end up coming back. They end up crushing, and they win the series. and And that's when we get into, um, you know, Michael's return. So I'm kind of combining, you know, episodes uh, seven and eight a little bit, but we get into, you know, him uh, struggling a little bit. Then he's able to, you know, score 55 against uh, the Knicks at Madison Square Garden, but he still doesn't quite have it. You know, when they when they get into, you know, the the 95 playoffs, he comes back on March 18th, 1995, and th- this is kind of, you know, that losing is what ends up sparking him. They get they start to th- to show that 96 run where they end up having the best record. Um, at the time in the history of the NBA and they pretty much roll through the playoffs until they get to the finals they're rolling through the finals they run into Peyton and Kemp and they actually go up and and then Peyton and Kemp come back with the Sonics and win a couple games and it's funny when you have Peyton who is a legendary smack talker and MJ out there and um, the uh, the kind of the narrative of that series was that um, they they didn't want to put Peyton on Michael throughout the series because they didn't they needed uh, Peyton en- enough from him offensively, and um, and Gary says if he would have been playing defense on Michael throughout it might have changed the uh, the outcome of that and and MJ got a good laugh and and he thought that was funny so we're gonna in the final couple two episodes next week we're gonna get into um, I guess ninety seven is really what we haven't seen a whole lot of and then we'll get into you know the the final couple rounds of the 98 playoffs what's great if you've missed any of these episodes of the last dance you can watch them on espn um you can two different you know settings if you uh, want to watch them because there's there's a good amount of cussing and uh and and some um some f-bombs and uh and some vulgar language but you can watch it on, on either setting and we have just two more left crazy how quickly this is a 10-part series has gone by let's Hear from one of our sponsors real quick. Don't go anywhere. Just wanted to remind you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company. Visit sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off of your entire purchase. These are all natural soy wax candle. They candles, they burn longer. They are better for you than the candles out there that have that traditional paraffin wax. I know the people from this company personally. I've grown up with them my whole life. They love candles. And the goal was to, to have an affordable candle that everyone can. And enjoy. Use that promo code G I N O. My favorite 
is Fresh Roses. The Fresh Roses scent is awesome. If you're a horse racing fan, they got Del Mar in there. You ever want to know what Del Mar smells like, but you couldn't make it out there? Order your candle right now from Sarah Candle Company. The website, C-E-R-A Candles.com. SarahCandles.com. Promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off your purchase. Okay, he's become uh, pretty much our go-to wrestling uh, correspondent here. Anything, anytime there's anything big in the world of wrestling, we want to preview a show, we want to recap some shows, we want to talk some wrestling news. We bring on our good buddy Chad Cooper Koopa Loop. Yeah, there's a lot that's happened since we talked last week, man. It feels like there's been just a ton of of news in wrestling. And and before we get into Money in the Bank, what happened, and 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 a little bit of more, what happened on Raw, I guess the very big news first is. Immaculate conception. We got the the Messiah and the man. They're gonna have a baby. Becky Lynch is pregnant. <laughs> yeah, you know we uh, we we wondered why she was. You know we haven't seen her on TV. You know in ring uh, for a couple of weeks, and we kind of wondered why. Um, and then all of a sudden, the man. Uh, it's announced the man will come back to Raw and uh, with the briefcase. So we're like, okay. What's going on here? But man, what an exciting time for uh, professional wrestling! What a whirlwind of just a couple of days from a from a Money in the Bank pay per view to a to to an interesting Raw last night. It, it's uh, it's it's very uh, exciting news for wrestling. Yeah, and you know, um, it, it she's in a weird spot because being such a big star, being the champion, especially if she wasn't the champ, you could kind of, especially at, at this current climate, you could maybe fly under the radar for a month or two, but they kind of have to, uh, you know, and, and they have to announce this early because they're in a weird spot. Like they couldn't really do some sort of an injury right off angle with her because she can't do anything now. And now she's pregnant, you know, she can't really be in, the, she can't be in the ring and really be active at all. So this is the I think this is the best thing to do like right not try to get too cute and like hide this and make this part of a storyline or something because you just don't know when she's going to come back there's no timeline for this I, I liked the way they did this and I thought that opening segment was actually really good because you have a uh, you have Becky you know she kind of pulls the swerve and she says okay um Oscar you won the money in the bank but now you're actually going to be the champ and we have Oscar doing the real crazy celebration <laughs> and then she kind of turned and I thought that was cool because she said what mama really you know oh, yeah. and, and, and I thought that was fun I thought that first segment was really good it was honest it was like some of the best segments that WWE have unfortunately um on Raw are like the sad ones where people sure. come out and they're retiring but this was cool because this wasn't the end of Becky Lynch this was just you know, something great for her, something great for Seth Rollins. Um, so, I mean, this isn't negative. There's a lot of positive with this. Yeah, and there was a lot of, you know, there are a lot, and I mean a lot of Becky Lynch fans on social media. Media, And, of course, you have your doubters. You know, you have the people that don't like Becky Lynch. They like Sasha Banks or whatever. But last night, it was a moment for Becky Lynch. And I tell you what, you know, you nailed it. When Oscar kind of turns and, and says, mama, mother, whatever she said, it kind of got you there. You know, it's like she was excited. Uh, we understood. And then Becky just, you know, the tears start flowing. And it is, uh, she goes from the man to the mom now. And it's, uh, you know, we're not going to see her for a while. Uh, who knows when she comes back? But, man, what a moment, and uh, she deserved to go out uh, for the time being, 
very respectfully, and WWE did a fantastic job on, on Raw with that. It was it was a class act for Becky Lynch. I completely agree. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And I, you know, like, I haven't always been, during this run of Becky, like, the biggest, like, fan of this particular character. I completely respect her and everything. I actually liked the corny, goofier Becky, you know, before, sure. like, because that felt a little more like her, but... This was so great. You feel a little bit sad because she was really on top of the wrestling world, but I mean, um, but it's it's just like she said, just such mixed emotions because this is going to be, um, you know, like the biggest and most important thing she ever does in her entire life, and uh, and we will all be very excited to to kind of follow the progress. So they said that they took a couple of uh, pregnancy tests. One of them at the beginning, she kind of didn't know what she was doing and she took it wrong. And uh, yeah, and. Yeah. And then she took a few more tests. They figured it out. So it looks like baby uh, Becky Lynch slash Seth Rollins is going to be due in December. And, I mean, that's the big news in the wrestling world right off the bat. And so we have to address that. And, and big congratulations to Becky and to Seth. And we'll get uh, to it a little bit more as we talk about Monday Night Raw. But let's go back in time a little bit and talk about Sunday Night and Money in the Bank overall. I thought this was a damn good show, Chad. I mean, the the in I kind of like the way they did it too, where they had the first you know six matches of the night, including the pre-show match, on in in the arena, and then they went to the last you know thirty minutes or so of the Money in the Bank matches at the uh, at the WWE headquarters. This was a quick show. It wasn't one of those six-hour shows. It moved really, really fast, and it, it felt like one of those shows where. Nothing was really bad on this show. No, and you know it's a good WWE product or a show or a pay-per-view when the biggest complaint is, wow, that was sh- that sure was short. You know, it, it's, it was over too soon. You know, that was the biggest complaint that I saw afterwards. Uh, yeah, the pre-show, uh, that match, Jeff Hardy and Cesaro, I think this is the first time we've seen Jeff Hardy in a WWE ring, and you know, since uh, you know, before the knee injury, he looked great. Cesaro is a machine, so anybody, anybody he works looks great. I thought this match probably should have went on the main card, but I wasn't complaining because it was a very, very good pre-show match, and uh, Jeff Hardy looks as good as ever, and hopefully he can keep his his uh, personal uh, affairs intact. But uh, him and Cesaro kicked it off. Fantastic pre-show match should have been on the main card. Yeah, blessing in disguise right now at this time period. I, I feel like we're getting a couple a couple folks who are going to get getting really good builds and for a nice run. And Jeff Hardy looks like he's one of them. They're really going hard with this. Like Jeff Hardy wants one more good run angle, which is really cool. Um, we got the the tag team match, which. You know, I, I think they just don't really know what to do right now, so they leave it on New Day, and the match was fine, and and it and it's there. Um, the Forgotten Sons they didn't really get pushed a ton in NXT, so it would have been kind of maybe weird to see them come up and get the win right away. But I don't know; they might just be kind of like a placeholder tag team. You know, I don't know if they're ever going to be like getting a big big push. But but Bobby Lashley, you know, and then as we <laughs> move into um to what happened on Monday Night Raw, also. It looks like Lashley, who defeats R-Truth here, and he kind of steps in for MVP, it looks like he's somebody that WWE is getting behind right now, and they may be uh, aligning him with MVP. Those two did some really good work together when they were in TNA. Yes, and I like getting back to Lashley being this monster machine, just mowing through people. I think we're probably riding off Lana, as you saw on Monday Night Raw, 
um, teaming with MVP, uh, looking good. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we're going to end up with a Lashley-Drew McIntyre program here uh, sometime over the next couple of months because I would be very excited to see those two big men go at it. Yeah, they're doing a good job with that. Would that would be good? We're 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 seeing, um, you know, Drew as this really really strong baby face, and you know what? I gotta say, like Bailey, who too, as we get to the next match from from Monday in the Bank, I, I still think she's a little miscast as the heel, right? You know, they they had sure. to do something with her. They change her up. She was better as the 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 baby face, but she seems like she's growing into this role a lot more. She kind of does has her little aggressive streaks where she snaps. She's starting to get really annoying in that good heel way. I don't think Tamina ever was really someone that was like a legitimate contender to beat her. I think we're just going to continue to see this Bailey kind of play along until maybe we get the Sasha turn at SummerSlam and to set up those two. Yeah, I thought maybe we could get a little hint of it uh, at Money in the Bank, but I was okay with this match. Probably yeah. the best Tamina has looked in I a agree. long, long time. You know, yeah. instead of being that, you know, that bodyguard, that that second person, uh, a third wheel type character. But yeah, look, I, I did not like Bailey turning heel at first. I didn't think I, I would grow into it, but as you said, she's grown into this character. She screams now. Her personality now is 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 better than Sasha Banks, and I didn't think we would ever see that. She's grown into that Bob, you know, black emo uh, haircut. Yeah, yes, I, you know, yeah, I, I love this look for uh, for Bailey. Yeah, she she does a good job interacting with Michael Cole and like talking trash to them too yes. in this like empty arena setting. So she's kind of found something as of late. And then we had a kind of an interesting Braun Strowman Bray Wyatt match. Now, this is what I'll say. At the end of the match, the last couple minutes, we got some of that Bray Wyatt symbolism where, you know, Braun puts the the black sheep mask on and you think for a minute that he's going to align himself with Bray again and and almost like lay down and let Bray win. And and, and that's, you know, they like Braun was playing mind games with him and I, and that's that's what you're going to get in the Bray matches. But up until that, these two guys were going at it. Like really like the pace was damn quick for these two big guys. They looked like they've been in really good shape as of late. They have a good amount of chemistry with the two of them. Maybe just from working together a lot of those times as the with the Wyatt family. And and it, it sounds like Braun did learn some things from Bray on the road. You know, being around him early on. This was good. I mean, these guys went at it, but it looks like this feud is going to continue. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting that we did not. We got Bray Wyatt. We really didn't get the fiend. Yep, not at all. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, up until, you know, we got the puppets at ringside, um, which was, you know, <laughs> even if you don't like it, you know, it, it's a part of, you know, uh, the funhouse uh, aspect of it. But yeah, they went after it. Uh, Swerve there, you know, we thought, okay, Bray's back in it. You know, Braun's going to be the henchman again, the black sheep, so to speak. But uh, no, he kind of swerved us a little bit and won the match. And I was definitely okay. Uh, with him winning, and I'm okay with with them extending this. I think we we may get a Firefly Funhouse. Yeah, I think so too. Something too. cinematic. So, yeah, I, yeah, I'm okay with this. And 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 it, it gives them the like Bray. You said Bray wasn't the fiend. This was right. Bray Wyatt in right. his Bray Wyatt. What we see in the Firefly Funhouse. So now when they go to the next match, whether it be you know Backlash or Extreme Rules or however however they're going to do it, they can you know up at a level where you're going to get the fiend now and maybe you raise the stakes a little bit. Like you said, that maybe the ultimate ending, you know, a couple months down the line is a Firefly Funhouse match with these two um, uh, again. And I, I like this moving forward. Like you just go through the show and 
you know, you could say that maybe towards the end of Bailey Tamina was a little sloppy, but there just isn't anything bad, you know. And we get to what of the matches in the arena, man. I thought this was awesome. This set uh, Rollins Drew McIntyre match goes just under twenty minutes, and these two guys again, like this was one of Seth's better showings in a while, and he's good all the time. And this is. I mean, I don't know if I can recall a better Drew McIntyre match Maybe one or two of the matches he had in NXT They they went at it Drew has been built very well He, I mean, in just a few months They've done one of the best jobs with Drew Building him and making look making him look like freaking Hulk Hogan You, you know, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy what they're able to do When they really get their focus behind someone And the machine gets behind someone and they have, and, and I mean, I, I love this And now we get the, the weird Seth Rollins turn And then, <laughs> you know, even after the match Drew being the real good guy He uh, he mentioned Mother's Day in one of his promos, you know And, and sure. then he shakes Seth Rollins' hand afterwards I, I thought this was a really good, hard-hitting, quick-paced match I think all these guys now kind of have a little Not a chip on their shoulder, but they go out there now knowing that Hey, they're one of the only things going in town Like, we're in the ring, we're going to work hard doesn't seem like anybody's taken the nights off here. No, and putting the belt on Drew was absolutely 100% the correct thing to do. And this guy has been, you know, I mean, even after the Mania match with, with Seth, I mean, he, you know, he worked with Big Show. And, and then this guy is out every week, you know, um, unfortunately not in front of the fans to feed off, you know, the pop, but coming out every week, you know, a solid match, uh, another Solid pay-per-view match with him and Seth Rollins. Seth is one of the all-time greats. I, I, I know a lot of people, you know, he, he gets lumped into the shield with Roman and, and Mox now at AWE. But Seth Rollins, um, if, if you know, if you looked at those three and said, okay, which one are going to be the best solo of the three? Everyone said, okay, Roman Reigns. Okay, oh, oh may, you know, Moxley. I, I don't think of a lot of people thought that Seth Rollins would do this on his own. And nope. he did. And oh my gosh, you know, and this new character he's got now, which he, he portrayed on Monday night. I like it better than Messiah. I, love I do too. He, he's better as this kind of crazy guy than, yes. than, than the Messiah. And it's so funny as we shift over to Monday night raw. Now it's so funny how this character, and I wonder if they're going like, I wonder, is this character related to the fact that he's now going to be a father? Or is this like a separate thing? Which make I, I like it when I'm asking these questions. You know what I mean? Like, right, to me, right. that's good because now I'm curious. Like, I want to tune in next time and see what version of Seth Rollins are we going to see? Is he going to mention that he's a father now and that he's changing? Or is, he, is that not even like something that he is going to be talked about? He's just gone crazy because of he's, you know, not the Messiah that he thought and he lost the title and now he... I mean, he went at Rey Mysterio uh, <laughs> at his eye. That was like one of those really creepy Randy Orton attacks. And, yes. you know, I think the general consensus about Monday Night Raw, because it kicks off with Becky in the ring. Um, then we get a Bobby Lashley against uh, Humberto Carrillo. And really, this is more about the story of building Lashley. And yep. what I, I love when... We are, as wrestling fans, we're so dorky We remember everything, the the stats, the dates, the numbers, the shows When this happened When MVP just comes out and says something like Hey Lashley, you know, you haven't had a title shot since 2007 You know, like he says, it's just like one little thing And then it makes everybody think and we talk about it And everybody goes and looks it up and goes 
oh my gosh, he really has it. It was like Great American Bash 2007. Like, that's it. Now we're going to get the Lashley that we should have got when he came back initially a couple years ago. I love this pairing. I think this is going to be really good going forward. I mean, right now they're setting up. Like, I'd love to see Lashley in the main event title picture uh, against the Drew McIntyre. I'd love to see someone like Jeff Hardy move his way up and get into the main event title picture here or on SmackDown with a Braun Strowman, someone like that. I, it, it's kind of like a fresh face, but it's someone who, with the with just on a, you know a good few weeks, a good month, we can believe that they're a legitimate contender and get behind them. You know, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, why is MVP back? You know, this guy has been there, he's been this. I think this is a perfect role. This is him. why, right here. Oh, you know, this guy, he's smart. He he loves professional wrestling. Um, I've had the opportunity to talk to him a couple of times. He lives uh, just north of Houston in the Woodlands, so he, he he's in Houston a lot. The guy is 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 brilliant about wrestling, knows the history, and I think this is a perfect pairing because you're kind of seeing that Lashley kind of needs, I, I, you know, a mouth. You know, yes. we had Leo Rush. You know, then we go from Leo Rush, you know, then to the Lana Russa program, which. That didn't feel natural at all with Lashley. It, it just was not him. But now you give somebody, you know, like MVP, who knows all that and who can rattle that off, and now, hey, puts it in everyone's head. You haven't got a title shot in over a decade, bro. What's the deal? And it's a new Lashley. It's a, I like his new gear that he's in. He's mowing down people. And I think I think it sets up for a big uh, program with Drew McIntyre down the, down the road. I love it. I mean, it might have even been somebody like like MVP who's, you know, producing and helping with matches and stuff also yeah. as, as wrestling. He might have just been backstage and been like, hey, look, like I've done, like, let me show you. I've done some work with, uh, with, with Lashley before in the past. Like, I can be a mouthpiece for him. I know him. I like him. Let me help get this guy over. You know, boom. And, and, and that's going to help. This is going to help a lot. Like, he's going to be the best, like, like side for Lashley of, of any of the ones that you just mentioned. I really like where they're going with this pairing. Um, it looks like there's going to be some sort of issues with uh, Zelina Vega's little groove. We got yeah. uh, we got them starting to kind of get into it a little bit, which, which looks like it's going to lead to something between uh, Theory and Garza. Maybe, and then that led to a, a McIntyre Andrade match, which, which is fine. We like I um, and I, I love seeing Drew win. I just I don't necessarily like seeing the U.S. champ just getting beat all all the time. All over the here. time, especially <laughs> by yeah. It seems like Drew McIntyre is just picked on this guy, and, and those those Drew McIntyre chops that Ooh. he puts on Garza. I mean, you couldn't pay me, pay me to take one of those one of those shots. You know, everybody's raving Ooh. about. You know, the way Mike Tyson looks in this video at 53 years old. I think I may take a Mike Tyson punch before I would take a Drew McIntyre chop. It's just, it's it's crazy. And uh, I, I don't, you know, look, I know ratings are down a little bit. So now we're going to get this, you know, after the match, after he beats Andrade, which was an okay match. It was a good match. We know those two guys can work. You kind of get this brand-to-brand uh, brand type clause now, and, and then we're getting Corbin to come over. Maybe it's just, okay, who who can work now? And Yeah. Who, you know, maybe that's so, but uh, that really doesn't move the needle for me. Me neither. You know, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. Yeah. I don't like... I, I understand that when the ratings go down, these networks are going to look and say, hey, we want some of these stars on both episodes, but the overall the product is better when you keep it separate for the most part 
and you're able to kind of have their own worlds and 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 is and, and like you said, Corbin, I don't know if he's necessarily someone that's gonna move the needle at all. And I like I like heel Corbin. I, I think he oh, does a really too. good job. Right. He just yeah, isn't yeah. like you said, if you're gonna announce someone to come over, give me Daniel Bryan. You know, sure. like someone that the fans or people are gonna go, Oh wow, Daniel yeah. Bryan against Drew Mack. Like just like a you know, or an AJ style, I don't know, something something like that that maybe feels like it moves a, a little bit more. Um we moved on to the uh, Iconics. Glad they're back. <laughs> I love these gals. I mean, yes, they do yeah. a great job. They're not like they're fine in the ring. They get the job done. They're a good heel tag team, but their best is when they're on the mics and they're making fun of folks. And so they end up winning a non-title match here against uh, Bliss and Cross, and they're going to get the match next week. Are we just kind of spinning wheels until Alexa turns back heel again? Is it? Does it feel yeah. that way? Maybe. Yeah, we have to look. I, like you said, the the iconics are back, and you know the back and forth during the moment of bliss segment that which led to the match was just fantastic. Look, and I I love Nikki Cross, especially you know when she gets on the mic and bless her heart, you know she's got this thick accent and it's just adorable. You know, it was a, it it just wasn't a very good match, but that's okay between these two tag teams. I don't think we're looking for Charlotte Flair type technique in these type matches. So it was okay, which leads to a tag match next week. But yeah, look, Bliss is a heel. She's got to be turning sooner or later. It would be the perfect time to put the belts on the Iconics. And I, I do like when they bring someone back who hasn't been on television for a while. They wait to bring them back. And a lot of times they get buried in this first match that they lose. So it was great to see them go over the tag champs and, uh, you know, and hopefully they'll get the straps next week. Yeah, you can't end the build before it even starts. I think it's a good tra- sure. it's a good opportunity for them. Put the tag team titles on them, and if you want to build up a, a baby face team to chase them, that, that that's fine. But they, they're they're good when they hold the titles for a while, and they'll uh, they're going to be good in this role. I think if they're able to get the win. So we saw a little bit more that that uh, after MVP uh, loses a a six man tag, uh, we saw Bobby Lashley come out. So it does they're really going heavy with this Lashley uh, MVP. Pairing, which should be a lot of fun. We've talked about that a couple times, and then uh, we get the we get a, a backstage uh, look at Jinder Mahal, who, um, you know, a lot of people don't were really you know hard on Jinder. I think when he was the the champ, but I will say this: he's not someone who you know you want to necessarily put the belt on and have him be the face of your company and run with it. But the, the, what he's done to get himself to this look the last couple years. He does have a little bit of history with Drew McIntyre. Like, I don't want to see Jinder against Drew for, you know, four months. But if this is like a program that you're going to have over a few weeks on TV, or maybe we get one pay-per-view match and out of this, um, I'm okay with that. Jinder is a good, like, top-of-the-mid-card heel. You know, I- I'm fine with that. With, with him and they wanted to fresh him up. They wanted to, to, to give him another opportunity here. I just don't want to see... The strap on gender and, and him kind of Running with it like we saw for a while No and I'll, I'm a huge gender Fan he is one of the Nicest guys that you Will ever meet in anything uh, Hardest I mean, working Man he, he, it's another guy that that, live, that Lives in Houston so I've been able to Talk to him here and there um, Maybe they go baby face with, with gender maybe him and Drew kind of do this buddy Buddy system type deal um, And he's just kind of like a you know, once Drew, I, I think we're past Drew and Seth now. I think that's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe we get a you know a short program. No, I don't think the belt's going on gender. 
you know, are we going to see gender turn? Is he heel? Is he face? We don't know. But look, man, that dude looks better than ever. He's incredible. And uh, he, he deserves a lot of this success because that, that guy is the nicest and, and hardest working athlete that I've ever met. He looks like a star. He does. Yeah. And oh, he yeah. deserves to be on. He deserves to be a player on this roster. He, he And if he's a heel, he gets a heat. You know what I mean? Like he he gets what a lot of people like want the heat. He doesn't mind going full heel and being a crazy heel. And if they're going to do something different with him, that's fine in here. And and you know the added bonus too is like all the people uh, you know across the world that yet that see this guy and and like him and and they go oh you know what this is a guy I can relate with. This is someone who is you know part of my culture or or someone that I've rooted for. You know so I I'm always fine with Ginger getting in the mix. You know and and he he has a definite role to play in here. Uh, and it looks like I don't think this AJ Styles Undertaker stuff is over, Chad. With what we saw on yeah. Money in the Bank, and then uh, AJ kind of kicking back, eating popcorn, watching the special. <laughs> it, it was fantastic because if you go back to the Money in the Bank match, I mean, who knew that the Undertaker had his own office? <laughs> That's where he sleeps. He just sleeps <laughs> in the towers in the casket. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so that, you know, we we got to see that part. We're like, okay, maybe it's just a uh, kind of a. You know, then AJ sees the big poster, the big life-size poster, you know, before that in the Money in the Bank match. And then, you know, he's sitting back and he, like you said, he's eating the popcorn. Then after, you know, the special, uh, you know, he gets mad, throws stuff at the TV. No, this cannot be over. Maybe a SummerSlam match, you know, or, you know, maybe one of these pay-per-views over the next couple of months we get something. But I I can live with AJ Taker. I can live with another AJ Taker match. I, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm into this feud, and yeah. uh, and then man, this this was probably I think Shayna Baszler's best night on the main roster. Oh, you bet. She was unbelievable in the 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 couple times that she spoke, and then the the interactions that she had with Natty. They ask Charlie asks her about Becky uh, and the pregnancy announcement, and Shayna says, you know, mothers will swear that pregnancy didn't ruin their careers. Uh, <laughs> and then she says that Becky's throwing it all away to house some miserable parasite. <laughs> she says, imagine the man sitting barefoot and fat on the couch eating bonbons. And she says, this kid is going to suck. You know who the father is, right? I rest sure. my case. That, that was the line of the night. This you was know great. what? Where was the, and maybe they put, maybe they, they, they put the, pulled the reins on Shayna during this WrestleMania buildup. But where was that Shayna Baszler heading into her match with Becky at WrestleMania? You know, I, I, I just, uh, I, I don't know. I, yeah. But look, you nailed it. This was the best, and it looks like we're going to go automatically into Shayna and Asuka. And I do believe that Shayna is going to be the, uh, the WWE Raw Women's Champion here sooner rather than later. I, I don't think, uh, I just don't think they can keep this belt off of her. This, no. They can go with it, and they can build off her. And what I like is the, between her, Asuka, and Naya, the three of them kind of feel fresh. Sure. Because we've seen so much of, and and not and then not in a bad way of like Becky, but we've seen everything in the last year to be with Becky in the mix, you right? You so you remove Becky, and now you've got these three who have kind of had some fun interactions over the last couple of weeks. Naya feels pretty hot right now too, sure. coming back. Sure. She's got a little a, a little bit of good buzz, so. I think the three of those women can do a really good job uh, on Monday Night Raw for a little while with that belt. Uh, then we got this weird Seth Rollins character. I mean, he comes out for a tag team match. It's Mysterio and Aleister Black who oh, – don't, don't worry, Chad. They're not dead. 
They didn't get thrown. <laughs> they didn't get thrown completely off the building. They only landed six feet down onto the other roof. But that was just funny when they go flying off the yeah. damn rooftop. <laughs> um, and uh, it looked like this was going to be like a handicap match. It didn't even look like Rollins was going to get in. And then um, he he snaps at the end. He ends up getting involved in the match. They call a DQ. And he goes absolutely crazy on Ray. He's like focusing on on his eye. He's really like really working dirty here after the match. I mean, like I said, it, it reminded me of like a Randy Orton when he gets real kind of crazy and focuses in on someone. And I mean, this was, I mean, we went from the Messiah set at Money in the Bank for the first half of Monday Night Raw. He was like stoic. He wasn't even saying a word. <laughs> And then he completely snapped. So this is a lot of like, you know what? He's not always been talked about as the best actor, but he did a pretty damn good job over a 24 hour period of like portraying many different sides of him. We even saw the, the nice guy set at the end of the match, shake his hand and then turn to this. So I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah. And you know, you know, they're checking on Ray in the back. Who's basically lost an eye, you know, poor Ray Mysterio. And, you kind of look, and you know, Murphy is is getting into it with Aleister Black, and you kind of look off in the back, and there is, like, Seth just kind of meandering off down the hall, and it's like, wait a minute, two guys are brawling. One guy's, you know, getting medical attention for losing an eye, and there goes Seth just kind of wandering off down the hall. He's done. I, man, it was, it was just – it was great television. It was great. And we got the basketball game. We got the two on two. This was the Street Profits versus the yeah. Viking Raiders. And um, this is some people that are like the real wrestling kind of snobby people probably won't like this. And they're going to say, ah, no. oh, this is stupid and goofy. But you know what? Would, would you have rather just seen another 10 minute empty arena match? Or would you have rather seen something goofy like this? We got a little bit of personality now over the last few weeks w- for the Viking Raiders. Um, this was funny. They were kind of playing a little bit off the last dance and all the basketball pub, you know, from that documentary. And and then <laughs> at the end, we see that these guys are just messing around and they really can ball after, <laughs> you know, they think they lost like 76 to 2 or whatever, whatever it was. And then we get Ivar, who's just literally Seth Curry and he's draining threes. I thought this was fun. This kind of reminded me of like, um, like the old, like Mr. Perfect skits that sure. they would do like the vignettes, you know, in the, like the late 80s, early 90s. This was goofy. And this was this was a laugh. This was nothing harmful. No, and I enjoyed it. Look, and I know it's kind of, you know, look, the Viking Raiders had the had the tag team titles, you know, or what have you, and you know, they're these serious guys and they run through all these, you know, and a lot of these people are so hard on some of these WWE superstars and AEW wrestlers like, man, I can't believe they're making them. How do you know that they didn't help come up with this segment? How do you know that they did not help? I thought they were having fun. and as you They said, seemed like they loved it. They yeah, did. They seemed like they loved it. We're, we're dunking basketballs at the end, and, and the street profits, profits are laying on the gym floor going, what did we just see? It was like the Washington <laughs> Generals had upset the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, for the first time ever. I loved it. I thought it was a good little segment. Um, and then we saw, you know, they continue with Shayna. She looks really good here. Sure. She just beats the beats the crap out of Natalia, you know, and I know I love Natty, too. She does such a great job. It's like Natty, if she had just like a small smidgen more like 
charisma or just yeah. a little bit more on the mic, she would have been like a perennial star for the last decade. But it's one of those that you just kind of you know Natty's always going to be there, so you never really worry about doing anything <laughs> for Natty, you know? Right, right. Yeah, they're not even throwing her a bone. I don't know if she'll ever win any type of championship. But you know, another good promo even before this match. You know, uh, you know, Shayna talking to Natty about the you know the Heart Foundation. Uh, being nothing, there's nothing left of it. Yes. And, uh, I'm just like, man, th- this she's ruthless. And- this felt like her. Yes, absolutely. Felt like her this- voice, yeah. you know, oh, like for yeah. the first time, instead of like her reciting one of those promos that somebody wrote, and it kind of you kind of caught that with Rhonda sometimes too, where it felt like Rhonda was re- like reciting a promo that maybe Heyman or somebody wrote for her, and they weren't in quite her words. This felt like Shayna just being like, "Screw you guys," you know. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. I think. She probably felt pretty comfortable with Natty here too Because they're friends, right? Like they had trained sure. together for a while And like they helped uh, Natty helped Shayna And Shayna's learned that they've, they've um, interacted quite a bit For a while with Ronda um, And uh, and then we get Cor- Corbin backstage Says he didn't mean to really throw those guys off the roof yeah. They're okay They just they just landed on the, the secondary roof No biggie, no biggie <laughs> Yeah, you know, and look I mean, Charlie uh, she looks incredible right now, for Holy the record. Cow, Ooh, you know, man. I don't know that hair. I mean, look, I, 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 I got hand to too. Yeah, and I meet her wow. in Vegas, you know, a couple of years ago, and she is so small. She is very, very short. But oh man, look, she's a workout, you know, fanatic, and always doing yoga and all these, you know, weightlifting and all that. But you know, back to Corbin. Yeah, I just had to put my love out there for for Charlie Caruso. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, so like this. What are we getting with Corbin here? We're going to get a you know squash match, maybe. I, I don't next week on Raw. I don't see them two feuding, but you know it's Hill Corbin. It's not going to move the needle. We're not going to get big ratings, but I guess you know we've got to pick who who is available every week, and I guess he's one of the hills that we can kind of bury right now. And then we uh, we close things out with Andy uh, Randy Orton and Edge, and we've already seen that Raw actually after uh, bad, really bad last week. Um, went, went back up this week and actually was pretty steady all the way through. And I mean, when you look at like again, kind of similar to Money in the Bank, there wasn't a whole lot of bad on this Monday Night Raw. It felt like it really served a purpose, right? We felt like we're seeing now, you know, Bobby Lashley making his run. We're seeing like a, a change in the Seth Rollins character. Uh, Jinder's getting ready for a for a push. Um, Becky's gone. Shayna looked like she was getting a really nice build all throughout the show. So it wasn't like one of those shows where you look back and you're like, wow, nothing really happened tonight. You know, that was just there. And then we get to the end with the the Orton Edge. And, uh, I mean, Edge. Edge is, like, such a damn good actor now. Oh, like, man. With, yeah. with, with the, you know, he's done a bunch of, the, in the last 10 years when he hasn't been able to wrestle, all he's done is be in, you know, do some movies, some TV shows, do, you know, host a podcast, do some goofy stuff on the on the WWE Network. And he is really, really good Anytime he comes out there on the mic, this this felt really cool because I don't think many people loved their WrestleMania match. I think most no. people were just disappointed in it and were expecting a lot more from it because the build up to it was so damn good. And it almost feels like now be, they get a mulligan. You know, it's like people like this is this segment again last night. If they come back and backlash in their Straight up wrestling match That might be the greatest wrestling match Of all time (laughs) Um, If if this is a good match 
And then we can lead to one more like you know blow off at extreme rules or whatever it is that they'll be okay. I think people just need to see them back in the ring to kind of get that bad taste out of their mouth. Yeah, I think both of them do. You know, I think it's it's needed for both. And Orton, as good as Edge is, Orton just plays this character. This this this. It's not even a heel. It's just this you know slimy, you know just. No nonsense guy, and he gets in the ring and he says what he's got to say, and he gets back out, and we knew he was coming back in. But I love the straight up wrestling match line. I love that, and I think we're gonna get, uh, you know, look at Backlash. You know, that's usually kind of a, a you know, a throwaway pay per view. But what I like about WWE, those, you know, outside of the big ones, okay, you got your SummerSlam, you know, WrestleMania, Money in the Bank. But some of the best matches from these WWE pay-per-views come from the ones that you say, okay, you know, it's, you know, mm-hmm. no mercy, you know, those, those type of pay-per-views. And Backlash is going to set up to be a very good one just because of Edge and Randy Orton having a wrestling match. And, man, doesn't it feel good to be able to say wrestling on a WWE program again? It, man, it does. It's a great way to end that show. Great. It was, and, and I'm I'm pumped after you know Sunday into Monday. It feels like things are are, you know, it, it's cyclical in wrestling, right? This has been something unprecedented. They haven't ever had to deal with something like this that's going on, and they're they're trying to figure out what's the best way to do it. And you know, all elite wrestling is doing a pretty good job now. They're they're kind of getting the ball rolling right now. So as far as like the world of wrestling. Things are are going really good. I like what I saw from WWE last few days. I feel pretty positive. Moving forward, as you mentioned, I'm looking forward to backlash. So um, I, I appreciate it, man. You you are the man. Anytime I uh, I, I put the bat signal up for Chad Cooper, <laughs> you immediately give it back back to me and say, "Absolutely, buddy, I'll come back on with you no no matter what." So the people love hearing from Koopa Loop. Um, I thank you so much, and uh, let the folks out there know where can we follow you. Give us some of your plugs, both on Twitter and Instagram. It's pretty simple. At the Chad Cooper, and uh, I'm on both of them a lot, posting a lot of pictures on Instagram because I'm into a lot of sports photography, concert photography, and on Twitter, I, you know, I mouth off uh, about everything. But what a fun weekend for wrestling, and Gino, it's always fun to talk to you, buddy. Coop a loop, thank you, my friend. Uh, stay safe over there. Hope everything's going well with you, and we'll be touching base again real soon. You got it, buddy. That is Chad Cooper. You heard where to follow him. Make sure to give him a a click on the social meds. And let's take a quick break here. Don't go anywhere. A big thank you to Chad Cooper for talking some wrestling with us. Chad, it's funny. We were going back and forth and we were like so focused on the Becky stuff that Chad texted me a little bit after and he's like, did we even really talk a whole lot about the Money in the Bank matches? And I was like, no, we really didn't. So um, just a couple uh, like thoughts on the, the, the two main event matches too for Money in the Bank. So Asuka wins the match. And these two matches are happening simultaneously throughout the WWE corporate offices. So they literally start in the lobby. They you know fight through different rooms all the way up the offices, and then on the roof they have a ring set up, which is really cool, um, with the ladders around, and they, they're they doing all sorts of drone shots um, from the roof, and so as the six men and the six women compete, they're competing at the same time as they're going up through the, you know, the, uh, the, the building, and they go into different rooms, they're all interacting with each other, you know, little different, um, you know, feuds here and there, and we see um, 
you know, brother love make an appearance, and there's a really cool moment where uh, AJ Styles uh, sees a, an Undertaker poster, and he opens the door, and it's like a room that's an Undertaker room with the casket in there, and he kind of gets locked in, and and he's scared. So it looks like they're going to be continuing on with the AJ Undertaker stuff, and and it we get to the point where it's uh you know um Oscar really had been trying to get to the top throughout and everybody had been chasing Oscar all the women had been chasing Oscar they're all kind of having their own little feuds and interactions and there's a food fight spot in here i mean this was this was pretty goofy but i liked it it was fun it was interesting it was different it I would have liked it even if it went a little bit longer. I think the men's ended up going like 27 minutes. The women's went just over 20 when Asuka finished. And they end up finishing in the same spot up top. So Asuka wins the women's money in the bank. We talked about what happened with Asuka, how she's now the women's champ. And the winner of the men's money in the bank is Otis. What hap- What ends up happening is Otis is trying to climb the ladder. He's too big, so he can't climb that ladder. And... It's AJ and Baron Corbin. They're battling up top for the briefcase. They get the briefcase down. And it Elias shows up, hits uh, Baron Corbin in the back with a, a guitar, and it drops into Otis's arms. And so Otis is your Money in the Bank winner. And Otis is going to, you know, he screams, Mandy, I did it! And... They're going to be able to have a lot of fun with this story with Otis. He is going to be... He's someone that's a, a fun character. But here's the thing. Right? He was a high school state wrestling champion. He was a champion of the 2009 Greco-Roman Junior Nationals. He placed third at the 2009 Junior Freestyle Championship. He... Won the national title in Greco-Roman wrestling at the Junior Pan American Games in 2011, and Greco-Roman bronze at the 2014 Pan American Games. He was one point considered a um, a prospect for the U.S. Greco-Roman wrestling team. So this guy can go in the ring. Where he's just been playing a goofy big character. That's the character that Vince wants from him. There's going to be a moment where we see him do some actual wrestling and show that he can go. I like this. This is fun. This is what they used to do with the money in the bank. The money in the bank briefcase does not need to go to someone like a Daniel Bryan or an AJ Styles because you can immediately shoehorn them into a title picture anytime and it's not weird. You don't even have to have them win a number one contenders match. You can just put them in a feud for a title and it fits because of, of who they are. You can't do that with Otis. This helps get him there. There's so many things they can do with the briefcase with Mandy involved. He could lose it. That obviously could happen. He could try to cash in and lose. Mandy could be the reason why he loses the briefcase or why he loses cashing in. Maybe they have him win and then Mandy turns on it. I mean, there's just a a bunch of ways they can go and they don't have to do anything immediately. They can string this on out for a while. He's a big guy. If if they want to have him interacting with Braun Strowman, it doesn't seem bizarre because he's He's also he's a bigger guy. Also, he's not tall. He's short, but I like this. I think this is fun. I know there's been kind of mixed reactions to this. this is kind of a polarizing thing because Otis isn't you know quite main event talent yet. But 
This is what the money in the bank is supposed to do. It's supposed to build a future star and help get somebody to that next level. And we know why they did what they did with Asuka, right? That makes sense. They knew that she was going to kind of be the next champion in waiting. A fun weekend in wrestling. And it's going to be a good couple weeks coming up because we're going to have an All Elite Wrestling show coming up soon. And they're firing on all cylinders. So after struggling to find their footing in these shows without fans... It looks like WWE and AEW are starting to at least figure things out a a little bit. So, again, a big thank you to Chad Cooper for talking some wrestling with us. Now uh, let's hear from one of our sponsors, and then we're going to talk some horse racing immediately following. But let's say hi to Cindy Carava. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, and I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are gonna be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full-service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. Everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, And uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com, or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com, or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. Horse racing time, uh, Wednesday at Fawner. Mandatory payout in the late pick five. It is a pick five jackpot sequence. Let's get right into it. We'll give you a couple different uh, ways maybe to uh, to approach uh, one of those uh, Fawner Park pick five tickets. So we're going to move to race number five where the pick five begins. And I thought that doesn't doesn't start with an easy race. Um, we can say that right off the bat. 
it does look like the five is the one to beat that's innocent storm but we're talking about uh, a mayor who's now eight she's been second in four straight she's been second in nine of her last 11 starts and but but she's she fits these conditions really nicely right she's only raced twice since december she fits really well in here um last out she was a step slow then she was up to to fourth behind uh three who were battling she just kind of went really wide into the turn for no reason and she was up in between depressed from second um it it was fine right it's fine and she's the measuring stick and she's the one they'll all have to beat in here i think the four is worth some inclusion that's a lot india who probably is the speed of the speed in here in her last start, going six furlongs, she broke well. She battled for the lead, but she just couldn't get it from a horse named Classy and Fast. That's a seven-time winner that was dropping in from an optional 10 claimer. And then once she didn't get the lead line to you that day, the race is kind of over for her. Now you look, they're going to put the bug back aboard, so you're going to get a weight allowance. I think she's going to be sent hard. There's not a ton of pace in this race. You're looking at a mare who comes out of a productive race where Emble Point came right back to win next out. I think Law India has a shot to get out in front and try to steal this race. So for me, the four or five are on my top tier. Uh, below them, I have the two, AJ Hart. AJ Hart was a last out winner, got to the lead without really being asked. And was able to get to the rail, had to deal with some pressure from the outside with a couple of others, but put them away, then held off another challenge uh, late in the stretch, and just won at this level. This looks like a, a pace factor, but she's not really like super quick. She can get the lead if nobody else goes. She'll probably be sitting a little behind in here. The one chance of Frost, I'm using, she hasn't raced since... You know September, but the last time we saw her, she had put together back-to-back wins, and then she fits the conditions of this race really well. These are Phillies and Mares who have not won four races, or which have not won a race since December 13th. So she's a four-time winner. She hasn't won since December 13th. She hasn't raced since December 13th. It's not like she's been losing a whole lot and getting beat up. The eight is another one I would take a look at in here. Um... Rai Rai Sweetie, who's going to move inside to outside. Obviously not a wind machine being in here, but she could kind of plod along and pick things up late. Um, you know, the three California Summers O for the last 14, really tough to trust that one. Our Annabelle has a little bit of speed. Um, and, and then Holy Marie, her last win, she just got such a perfect trip. Everything fell her way that day. I have four or five on the top tier. But um, on some tickets, I'm going to be using um, four, five, two, one, eight. That's how I, I approach this uh, fifth race at Fawner on May the 13th to kick off that mandatory payout pick five jackpot. Let's get to race number six. So for me, the top selection, or more than even the top selection, the horse that I want you to make sure to include or throw into your pick five tickets is that four, La India, who could steal that race early on. There's not a ton of speed. The bug could send. You get out front, you get brave, and you get a great price to kick off that pick five. That would be a a really nice way to start. We move on to the sixth race, and I'm going to begin with the two here. Put Sarah on. Last time out, she drew the rail against much better. She was right on the lead going into the turn. She had to deal with pressure from a couple others to the outside, so she ends up packing it in early. Now you get a big drop down, and she's probably going to be 
you know, more off the pace in here because there's just a lot more speed in this race. I think this is a great, great spot for her. Just got caught up in the pace from the inside. Hopefully you're just going to be able to work out a much better trip. There's speed to your inside in here, but there's other speed um, in a couple different spots too with, you know, the four um, ZYXYZ, the seven lively spell. Wouldn't shock if they're going to be right on the front end too. You'll probably get a little bit of pace, but Dixie Delta sat more, so she's probably more going to be like a little pressing from the outside. I think put Sarah on big drop, fits beautifully in here, and should get a great trip. Going to be my top selection. And I wouldn't be against telling you to single maybe on a, one of your one of your tickets that you play. I always end up playing a couple multiple a couple tickets multiple um, approaches. So the well, I guess let's kind of go through the race. The one Taylor's Beauty should be in the mix early. Um, so I'm just thinking, you know, you get inside speed trying to stretch out the six furlongs. She's a fit at the level. She's a pace factor, but she's just never proven she can stretch out the six furlongs. The three heavens creation is a horse I have a tough time with. You, you know, I, you you look at the two put Sarah on who fits the conditions nicely in this race, right? These are Phillies and mares who have not won two races in 2020. Put Sarah on has only raced three times this year, all against better. She won in one of those three, and then when we look in her races last year. She was a winner, you know, in her second to last race of the year, her race in September, and then that December race was on synthetic. You can probably excuse. She just fits really well. Heaven's Creation, I have a couple more questions mark question marks about. Last time out, she had a slowish start. She was three wide. She was in between into the turn. She ends up moving four wide for no real reason. Um, she was all in at the top of the lane. It was okay. She could win this race. I just like others more in here, to be honest. The four is one of them. Z-Y-X-Y-Z. You know, you look at her her last start. She Her first step was a bit slow. Then she was asked for some speed in between horses. She had a battle with a couple others early. She puts them away. Then she has to deal with the re-rally from Dirty Dixie Road. She puts that one away. ZYXYZ has some speed, but she can sit a little bit too. I'm going to be using her in a lot of my exotics. The five uh, Half Meals Inferno. She, she just... There's really nothing wrong with her last couple races. The problem is is the distance today. She just has one win at six furlongs, and that was back in August of 2018. I don't think she's at her best going this trip anymore. She just seems so much better going four or five and a half furlongs. I mean, she's never been best at this trip. She's always been a four to five, five and a half type. Kinky Kim was mid-pack early, settled inside, was sixth of A, just never got into it. Going to need to see some improvement from her to get the better of this group. The seven lively spell. I mean, she's pretty quick. She's drawn well. She should be right on the lead. In her last start, she broke right on top. She had a battle from the inside. She had uh, went head and head with the rival, and those two, you know, end up stopping badly. So the race shape was against her. I have her in the third spot in here, and I actually have her behind the horse we're going to look at next, and that's Diva's Diva. So the eight, she hasn't done a whole heck of a lot wrong lately. 
Her two starts at Fawner are fine Prior to that you look back at the Turf Paradise form And and that's good Let's go to the April 13th race right Slow start, she's 6th She's 4 wide into the turn And she starts a really nice rally But she has to shift around a little bit She's a clear cut 3rd that day And then last time out She ends up finishing a dead heat 3rd with Irish Contessa Who you see has beat a couple others in here And It was a You know, it was a pretty good Smooth start, she settles in 5th She's 3 off She's just kind of outrun a little bit And then she makes a big 3 wide early move from the back But the top 2 had just you know, Had already separated And she ends up dead heating for 3rd that day She fits She could come running Didn't really know what to do with Dixie Delta um, Off of the win last time out But you lose the win rider So you're going to really need to work out that, uh, A trip from the outside I have this race pegged 2874 with uh, the number two, put Sarah on as a top selection in a horse that I may be, you know, willing to single on a couple different tickets. Two eight seven four here in that sixth race. So two eight seven four in the sixth with put Sarah on the horse to uh, to key around. Race number seven at Fawner. We're gonna go to. Uh, we'll start. We'll just kind of go inside outside. So cashed his wonderful. She. She broke outward in her last start, but she was hustled for the lead. She couldn't cross over. She was a bit wide into the turn. She cleared off by a length. Uh, she was immediately challenged, though. She's what I like about her. These are Phillies and mares, which have not won two races in 2019, 2020. So we're going back two years with these ones now, and, and we're looking at horses who haven't won a whole ton in the last couple of years. She's only raced seven times, she's won for seven. And then when you go back a little farther She won her race prior to that back in 2018 So she's really two for her last eight And when you look at everybody else in this field We're not talking about a bunch of monsters She's probably the quickest And now she gets the rail So she's probably going to be sent you know, hard and forced a little bit She's a, tough, she's a horse who I have a tough time leaving out of, uh, of some of the exotics because of that She... I, I just I like a couple others more in here, but I'm absolutely gonna find a way to use her on some of my tickets. I have her picked fourth in this race. I just can't make really strong case for Triple Trouble, who's over the last sixteen, which is no real legitimate excuses. The three Dirty Dixie Road, she should be pretty tough in here. We were actually just talking about a horse, a ZYXYZ, who ended up defeating Dirty Dixie Road on April the thirteenth. Let's look at her last three starts, right? So we go back to April 1st She actually won, she crossed the wire first She was just disqualified for the purse money afterwards So She was speed from the inside that day Then she sits second behind an 80-1 to long shot She angles around, she moves to the lead She opens up two and she holds off a late challenge Comes back on April the 13th She had a fast start But then she got hooked a little wide into the turn She battled with ZYXYZ all the way she looked like she was done And she's actually two lengths behind And then she comes on again And she just misses And then on April the 22nd When we last saw This five year old mare She showed speed from the rail She got to the lead couple others pressed her um, But those two Faded And she ends up finishing third that day She she doesn't need the lead, but she's probably going to be real, real quick. I can, 
can picture her and, and Cash Tiz wonderful maybe battling it out. The problem that I have with the two of them is that I feel like those two are probably the major speed in here. And if for some reason Cash Tiz wonderful doesn't break or has some trouble from the rail and Dirty Dixie Road goes and clears off, she could be tough to, to run down. So it's hard not to use both of them in some of your exotics. The four, I, I just don't really have like a major excuse for running. So you know, showing a little speed, finishing fifth. I mean, maybe you'll get a little bit of pace here. The five is is one that's going to be tough to leave out uh, too. He, she's kind of obvious, but she's over her last fourteen. Although twelve of those have been at higher levels. Um, twice against $2,500 claimers She's been pretty solid And She wasn't Really Prepared In her last start When the gate opened She was a little slow And then she's like forced 5 wide And then she's 3 deep And then she's 4 deep And even after that really wide trip She's still sort of grinding it out late to finish 4th you go back to April the 1st, she was a little slow from the outside, and then she was again hooked really early. She's going to have to turn the tables on Stalker, though. The six memories galore, she's over her last 13. She hopped at the start last we saw her. I mean, she had a brutal beginning. She was 10 lengths off. She angles to the center of the racetrack. I mean, she makes a really wide move. There are some fun rides uh, when you look back at a lot of these replays. And she's a huge wide move I mean she's 6 wide at the top of the lane It was really clear cut second that day It was solid The 7 elusive dream I mean Like She just won it for the last 9 And has only hit the board Once in the last couple years Just not consistent enough for me We just don't really know what we're going to get from this one the eight classy affair. She's just one for the nine, and another one who hasn't, you know, hasn't been very consistent. I can't really make a, a great case for her. And we look at Husker Ridge. The, I, I think she's in a little bit tough. She probably needs to be in with State Red Company, but she could improve. Second start off the bench. I could see her taking a step forward. She's not as bad as she was in her last start. The horse that I'm going to go to. And actually make my top selection is a mare that's oh for her last 14. But you get Martinez jumping back aboard. And when you start to go race by race in, in her last few, I think you can make some legitimate, you know, excuses for all of them. So you go March the 6th, coming into a new barn. You haven't raced since November. You're going four furlongs off the bench. It's probably just more of a prep, kind of gets you fit race. Comes back March the 13th, finishes second in a similar spot as today. March the 30th. Was asked for a little speed And couldn't clear And then just gets hooked wide all the way around And none of those horses who were Pressing early on End up hitting the board So Kind of a, just not a good trip And against the race shape that day Come back on April the 6th A good start but ends up taking back 5th, 6th, couple lengths off in the 3rd flight Um Ducks to the inside is in behind horses Up on the heels in traffic in between This wasn't a good ride April the 22nd Some trouble at the start You're bumped a little bit ending up you know 7th 
of nine, six inks off. Then you're on the inside. You move up, and you're traveling well, but you got nowhere to go on the top. You know, of uh, you know heels of of the rival in front of you. You get you're tapping on the brakes. You have to wait. You get an opening, shoot through, but the top two had already separated. It wasn't far ahead of second. I mean, to me, Stalker's the one to play in here. And Stalker's my top selection. So the way um, I kind of have this race ordered is uh, I've got the 10 on top of the 3, on top of the 5, on top of the 1, on top of the 6. 10, 3, 5, 1, 6. 1, 3, 5, 10. Kind of the horses to use in most. I guess three, five, ten would be the obvious for a lot of people, and the six is another that I would include in some of the deeper tickets. So we get to race number eight, and um, you know Ebony Knights wasn't sure what to do with mid pack. Just kind of ran around in a circle in her first start against winners. The two Alicia's Valentine was a winner last time out. That was going a mile. The sprint races are just eh. So now what do you do with her? The three Scordia Queen looks like she's the type that has that kind of runaway speed. She's really quick. She immediately crossed uh, over and opened up two in her last start. And that was like put it all together time and she won by seven. She's the type that if nobody else goes, she can just wire this field and and be really tough. But she might have some, some early speed to deal with right next door from SC Angel. Who was close up early in her last start She sat second a couple lengths off She moved to the lead But she ended up getting run right by By the eventual winner And uh, she fades She finishes third that day She's a, a major player Kind of a measuring stick horse in here The five is going to get a big jock upgrade uh, She got steadied early And was in a tight spot She just had repeated trouble But the six looked a little bit overmatched in here uh, but you do get a very live pilot jumping aboard The 7-1 little Indy Was showing some speed in between Sat second, then moved up to the lead Maybe uh, a little bit of pace here The 8 Curious Kennedy Was a step slow Went 3 deep into the turn, was about 4th, 5th And was in between horses, was up on in contention But um, kind of hung late And really couldn't get by SC Angel And then the two outside horses We have Mark Her Precious Who... Bobbled, broke in, ended up inside Fourth was four off, was shuffled a bit on the inside Had some sneaky trouble It was just another uh, not not great ride And I'm actually going to make my top selection uh, The 10 Oakley gal Who, okay, she was brutally wide last time out And she might get that same kind of trip again But I think she's got a little bit of ability, right? She was super wide into the turn When she could have saved ground But they chose to go wide and when I say wide, I'm talking widest of all Seven wide at the top of the stretch And making up ground, but just a bad ride Hopefully um, The the pilot who's uh, going to be aboard now Has figured this one out um, She does have a little bit of ability Second off the long layoff, second time over this track Second time with the jock jumping aboard I think she can step forward in here I'm going to put the 10 on top The 4 SC Angel and the 3 Scotia Queen Look like the 2 to beat to me So it's going to be 10-4-3 It's kind of the top tier then I have uh, the 8 and the 9 behind them And the 5 and then the 1 Ebony Knight So 10, 4, 3, 8, 9, 5, 1 um, As just some horses that I might include on one ticket or another And then we close things out So the the 10 would be the horse uh, Make sure to, to include in your exotics and, and throw on those pick 5s Ninth race So... The four 
is uh, a horse who I'm going to single on one ticket. I think Moonfield's a standout in here. This is a filly that's a stretch-out sprinter, and she'll take them as far as she can. But she's won going long before. Um, in her last start, she broke in a bit. Then she was three wide into the turn. She was in between. She was up to the take. She was up to take the lead. She drew off by two, and she had to deal with the favorite um, to her outside. She put that one away and drew off. Uh, you know when when she broke her maiden going a mile. She she broke her maiden going a mile at Churchill, so she can go this far. You look at Shady Lane, who beat her a couple starts back. That's um, a very, very sharp animal who won three in a row and then four or five. I'm to me, she's going to take them, you know, as long as she can go. She doesn't need the lead. If for some reason someone jumps up and, and takes it, she can sit. But I like her in this spot. She's looking for her third win in a row. She beat the first level allowance company a couple starts back. She was a winner at the $5,000 level last time out. So the four Moonfield will be a single for me and some tickets. Uh, Other horses that I will include this race. The six, Charmin Dixie, who should come from off the pace, right? I'm expecting her to have a major late bid in here. She's one on the lead, but she's not going to get that kind of a trip in this spot. She'll be coming late. The seven, Fiona Hills. She just seems to love this mile. All three wins at the mile. And it's she's not been able to win going, you know, a little over a mile and under. So it's not it, it's I think it's it's it might be one of those things that just kind of is a little bit weird when you look at it. I don't think it's just like the one mile that making she can't go a mile in a sixteenth type thing, but this isn't the best group in the world. I could I could make cases for her, obviously. And then the one. Diaz Bling, who's dropping and is stretching out, and who should just come running late. So the, the four Moonfield will be a single for me in uh, some of the late exotics, and then I'll play a couple other backup tickets with the uh the four, six, seven, one. So the one big major ticket that I'll play uh, that will single in the last race is going to go something like this. Uh, in the fifth race, it'll be one two four five eight with two four seven eight with one three five six ten with one three four five eight nine ten with the four singled in the last. A couple other tickets, uh, other different approaches. I would do something like this in the, the fifth race: four five with two four seven eight with uh, three five ten. With three four eight ten, with one four six seven, and then maybe even another one, uh, something like uh, all with two, with uh, three five ten, with three four eight ten, with one four six seven. The horses that I have as my top selections all the way through the fifth race, the number four La India, the sixth race, the two put Sarah on the seventh and the eighth race. It's going to be the ten stalker, and then it's going to be the Oak Gal in race number eight, and then in the the ninth race, the number four. Moonfield. Good luck with that mandatory payout at Fawner. Let's get you a couple plays at Gulfstream Park for Thursday. So we are May the 14th, Thursday. I'm just going to go to a, um, a few individual plays that we have at Gulfstream, and they're going to be in races 7, 8, and 9. So get your past performances out at Gulfstream. Get to race number 7. Because um, the focus for Thursday is going to be a little more at Golden Gate with that mandatory pick six payout. 
So the fifth race, let's get to the five. Uh, Money Ride, who took a shot on the grass last time out. The Aqueduct races on the main track are really solid. I mean, just a repeat of you know any of the, the, the February races would make Money Ride a top, top contender in here. So Money Ride, who has some speed, but I think cutting back from the mile will be you know, maybe working out a little bit more of a trip from off the pace in here. But it should be real, real, real close and might actually even be the quickest if they want to go. You just have to see what the tactics will be cutting back from that one mile uh, race. So the five money ride getting back to the main track with some options tactically. In race number eight, it's going to be the number eight fast Venezuela. Yeah, I just, you know, we're talking about a jockey who's four for 117 recently. And um, we're talking about connections that, you know, don't win a whole ton together. But who goes with this one early? I mean, there's just nobody else to me that seems even close to as quick as her. So it's fast Venezuela. You don't want to take too short of a price, but if you do get 4-1, to one, that seems fair on fast Venezuela. I think she's going to be really hard not to use in some of your late exotics because she should have a, a major advantage on this field. And then in the ninth race, the number 5, Pacific Gale. She was facing you know graded stakes company for a while last year. Multiple graded stakes placed. And uh, she was sent to the bench in July of last year. We didn't see her... You know, from July of 2019 to April of 2020, came back and and was looming up. She was only three to one in her return race, and it was on April the 11th at Gulfstream. She's kind of looming up. She's kind of making the rally that she she should she would normally make. She was sitting fourth. She got to within a couple lengths. She just looked tired. You know, she just got tired, faded. She should be way way fitter. That that race is gonna get. Give her so much from a fitness level. So the number five, Pacific Gale, make sure to use her in all of your late exotics. Let's make a win wager if we can get around five to one. So the seventh race, the number five, Money Ride, we want around seven to two. The eighth race, the number eight, Fast Venezuela, you do want around four to one or so. And the ninth race, the five, Pacific Gale, you want around five to one. So those are the plays at Gulfstream for Thursday. Let's get you to Golden Gate. Thursday, we're going to have that big mandatory payout in the pick six. And it starts in race number four. We're on May the 14th. Tricky, tricky way to start. So, Sarah Smirk has the inside draw. And the plan for her has to be send hard. She came into a new barn on on March the 20th. Hadn't raced since July she cleared off early, um, opens up really, really sharp, was fresh. She was never tested. She was just kind of playing around with them. And, you you know, you look in the past performances and you see that real keeper beat her. That was back in June, and that was when, when Sarah did run second with a strong bid. And now in this race, Sarah's got the race under her belt, and real keeper hasn't raced since June of 2019. So I think Sarah Smirk is is probably going to be a little bit sharper in this spot. She could be tough from the rail. The two Lydia Olydia last time out against Better, she was on the rail on the inside. She was behind horses. She had no real punch late, but she was facing Better, and she will. She's probably going to have to prove she can pass horses, but I think she can, and you're going to get Hernandez. 
who should be able to work out a nice trip in here. The three real keeper, I'm just going to assume she needs a race off of this long layoff. She hasn't raced in ten and a half months now. She'll probably get caught up in some kind of uh, pace, and I think there's going to be some speed to her inside, and maybe even a little bit to the outside. So, real keeper, I guess I'll just be passing on, um, you know, maybe on like real deeper tickets I could throw her in, or if I do like an all to start or something. She's a grinder, just hasn't shown the ability for the new barn or the ability against winners. And then the next two are going to come up on I, I like a lot. The five Waverly Way. So she's cutting back to a, to a sprint. And she just has not been successful sprinting really at all. You know, you see just tons of, of races going long throughout her career. But the way that she's run her last couple starts, I think this is, this is going to be a, a trip that works out for her. So... She went really wide into the turn. She was three deep. She was up to press. She loomed up right on even terms at the top of the lane. She puts her nose in front, but she ends up losing a battle. Now you get the cutback. She fits at this level, but can she fit sprinting? That's Can she keep up early? She should come running late. She just lost to a horse who had won two in a row, who was winning her second in a row. The reason why I like the six is because some of the same reasons that we like Waverly Way, you know, coming out of uh, longer races, so, you know, this cutback should have a little more punch, but Tuli Tunes actually has a little more tactical speed that, that she's shown as of late. In her last start, it was a good start. She was guided up to the three path. She pressed too deep. She was in second. She was just off. She moved right up next to the leader at the top of the lane, but then she was repelled by the wire-to-wire winner that day. Moon Rocket Tuli Tunes hasn't won for the new barn But she has seemingly improved She's going to go third start of the year I think the six is going to take a big step forward Sinuava uh, hasn't hit the board in the last 11 But you do get a big jock upgrade here Secretly Paranoid I think if you toss the mile race last out She looks a lot better She was actually favored a couple starts back uh, Against the 4000 non-2 she wouldn't be, you know, completely hopeless in here. And, and then Morning Dove, I just think she's got to show a little bit more. But in a, in a wide open race, if you told me you wanted to press all to start, I wouldn't say you're crazy. I have the six on top. Uh, she's shown more tactical speed lately. She lost to Waverly Way a couple starts back, but that was Tooley Tune's first start since July. She needed that race a little bit more. Let's go six, one, Sarah Smirk, the five, Waverly Way, and the two. That's kind of my top tier, one, two, five, six. Below them on some of the deeper tickets, you can make a case for the eight, Secretly Paranoid, um, the seven who's getting a job upgrade, Sinuava, and then the three, Real Keeper, coming off the bench with the speed. But for me, one, two, five, six to get things started here in that pick six Mandatory payout at Golden Gate Let's get you to race number 5 They're going to go a mile and a 16th On the turf course in here And the 4K point Is going to take a ton of money Big drop in class, stretching back out His first 3 races are not bad And he's just faced tons better Than he's going to be facing today So He's going to be hard to leave off any tickets uh, I have 4 ho- I- I've kind of 
narrowed this down to the four horses that I think I need to use to try to continue to stay alive. I don't really like the whole just stay alive approach unless you're talking about a jackpot. In in that case, you want to kind of you know stay alive and, and get through the races that you don't love as much, and then maybe key in on your stronger opinions. The seven, I'll start with Constitutional Affair. I mean, he looks like the one to catch, right? It's, it's his first start on the turf, but he has legit sprint speed. This is Callahan and Hernandez teaming up. I think this is the one that they'll have to run down. The five, El Baracho. What's wrong with his turf form, right? Look at his first two turf starts. And then last time out, he hopped a bit at the start. He settles in sixth. He's six lengths off. When he moved... You know, horses move to his inside when he was moving, so he gets forced really wide. He ends up six wide at the top of the lane when he's making his his bid. It really wasn't a great ride. Um, hopefully, you can get a better trip in this spot. But his turf form is good. The and then I guess the other horse in here is the uh, the outside, who kind of looks a lot like Cape Point, right? Like Cape Point at least has some turf form and has run some okay races. We don't really know uh, what Struger has, but what I will tell you is Struger is coming out of a very strong race behind Shooter Shoot, who came back to win and and unfortunately was was scratched from um, one of the uh, Arkansas Derby races. So I, I think those are the the four, seven, four, five, eight, and then, I mean. The seven. I don't know who goes with the seven early. Like maybe it's the two. Maybe you get a little bit of speed from the one. But Constitutional Affair has legitimate sprint speed, and he could be long gone in here. So that's going to be my top selection in here. But four, five, seven, and eight for the the, the horses to uh, to include in this second leg. We get to race number six. Here and I'll start with the three Ride out the storm She hasn't raced since November But she's coming back to the races for Blaine Wright And I think dropping in class here She's going to be able to work out A nice off the pace trip She's cutting back to a sprint to five and a half furlongs On the bottom of the, the page When we see a couple of her sprints She was able to sit a little bit there And I think she'll probably be sitting Right off of Diamonds and Champagne Who looks like the quickest one in here I don't necessarily want to, you know, single or just focus in on diamonds in Champagne because you have, you know, a horse like Felony One who has some inside speed and might have to to push it a little bit. You have a horse like uh, Miss Lucky Lager who's, you know, got a little bit of speed. I wouldn't even be shocked to see the uh, to, to see Sadie Sue showing a little bit of pace in here. The three right out the storm I have on top of the four diamonds in Champagne who will be looking. To win her fourth out of the last five I mean she's just really sharp right now And she loves winning races And she also can sit a little If she has to I just think she's she's better on the front end That's got to be the game plan with her So three, four The If you're looking for a price Maybe an interesting horse to use in here I would I would say the, the six hit it twice Who Was actually favored over Genpire Strikes Back When they hooked up a couple of starts back and hit it twice, then threw in a clunker. But if you just excuse that race, put a line right through the March 6th race, and look at the form in the, the three races prior, that would make her really competitive with this group. The two would be the other one, Jen Pyre strikes back. Tried tougher last time out. Nothing wrong with uh, with 
what she's done in her first few starts. She can come from off the pace. She'll be picking him up late. Three, four, six, two for me. Three, four, kind of on that top tier, but uh, those are the four, uh, two, three, four, six. Let's get to race number seven. And um, the nine, live it well. I really like uh, in this spot. I, I'm, I'm thinking about. You know, singling a nine on one ticket so I can open things up in some of the other races. She's going to get back to the turf, and she's coming out of a couple bad races on the synthetic, and I think that'll kind of, uh, you know, hide her form a little bit. But just look at her grass races, right? The last time she was on the turf, she was at the 12-5, non-two level, going a mile and a 16th on the grass. She just misses. It's a really similar spot. She sits third, fourth that day. She was too deep. She ends up... uh, you know, just in a good tracking spot. She moves to the lead. She opens up three, and she just misses. And then she hasn't been back on the grass since. And she's a much better animal on the turf. Look at her two turf races going long. You have a win, and then your second beat in the nose. I think it's a great spot for live it well. I do feel like Odessa is going to get a great great trip in here sitting close just off it looks like Reverie has pace Private Kitty has some speed Loretta say it with Roses will be flashing speed that's why I think this race sets up great for Live It Well but it could set up for Odessa to maybe get the first run on some of the deeper closers what do you do with Moonshine Annie who's just one for 21 on the grass but 5 seconds but 4 thirds and the bulk of these races have been against better that would be my third horse in here. But I, I'm I'm okay if you think that you know what she might be more of an underneath type. But I have nine two four in race seven. With the number nine, live it well, the top selection. The uh, eighth race, I'm gonna try to get out of this race with just using two. Um, the the two stand in your love and the three beautiful babe. And Beautiful Babe was f- made a five-wide bid down the center of the racetrack and just missed second, um, win the beaten favorite against Maiden 12-5s on March the 21st. She's going to have to to beat Stand In Your Love, who has not done any, you know, hasn't run a bad race in her three starts. She's hit the board in all three. She stretched out to a mile last time out. She showed speed going a mile. Now she cuts back, and she's shown that she can pass horses. And she should be fit. She should have absolutely no excuses in here. For me, it's 3-2, two, 2-3. Two, I'm going to use them in that pick 6 as we get to the closeout leg. And good freaking luck in this closeout leg. This is a brutal one. Um, I think you honestly want to have as many horses as you possibly can afford. For me, the ones that I have on my top tier, the one, Conquest Saber Cat, who's getting back to the grass. And she does not have... To be on the lead In fact she won't be on the lead in a a race like this She'll likely be saving all the ground From the inside with the top pilot aboard I think this is a good spot for her um, To kind of use some of her versatility The three Soberano, probably the one they'll have to beat Coming off that pretty good third against the Open 20 claimers last we saw her And the question is is, Is she really One who wants to go on the grass It's just hard to answer that question Because she may not even want the grass, but she still might be good enough to beat a group like this on the grass. The 10, Carolina Island, another one who you look at the turf form, returning to the grass. She's won some really good races on the grass. This is a nice spot for her. 
she fits well. The two studly perfection of blinkers on for a really good barn off the claim, and this is likely the one to catch. So for me, those are the top tier. One, two, three, ten. I have one, three, ten, two. And then once I get past them, the four, Eldritch, who I just worry that he gets caught a little too far back, and he might even be you know, best going a little longer. And then the eight, King Eddie, who at least has the speed to be uh, you know, in the mix and is coming off of a win last time out against the eight claimers. Fine on the grass, though. So one, three, ten, two, four, eight. So here's a couple of the approaches at this Golden Gate ticket. Starting in the fourth race. 20 cent pick sixes. I'd probably play one like this. Uh, one, two, five, six with four, five, seven, eight. With three, four. With two, nine. With two, three. With one, two, three, four, eight, ten. Probably another one where I went something like uh, all with seven. With two, three, four, six. With two, nine. With two, three. With one, two, three, ten. And maybe another one where I would single the nine, live it well in race seven. I'm still kind of going to have to see what that one looks like. But those, you, got, you get an idea how we're going to play. In race four, the six, Tooley Tunes. Race five, the seven, Constitutional Affair. Race six, the three, Ride Out the Storm. Race seven, the nine, Live It Well. And race eight, the three, Beautiful Babe, as the must-use horses. And nobody really in the in the tenth because, or in the ninth, because, like I said, to me, that's definitely going to be a race where I'm going to be kind of spreading out. So no real strong opinion there. Okay, that's the uh, the racing for Wednesday and Thursday. But hey, 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 racing fans, we're going to be talking some Santa Anita Friday on the next episode. We're going to be talking some Churchill Downs Saturday on the next episode and some hopefully Santa Anita for the weekend. So Churchill, Santa Anita will be back in the mix this weekend. We'll be covering them right here on That's What G Said. Let's close things out recapping Billions. Love where season five's going so far. We're uh, spoiler alert. If you you know haven't seen episode two, season five of Billions, we're gonna talk about what happened in season uh, five, episode two. So you might want to just turn the episode, uh, turn this off now, and listen back later. So this is first of all the name of this episode. It's called the Chris Rock Test, which is hilarious. If if you haven't seen some of the Chris Rock stand-up, what this means is the Chris Rock test is for a father is that if your daughter ends up a stripper, you failed. That's You failed the test. <laughs> you know that, that you failed. And uh, we hear the wags at one point in this episode talking about how he failed the Chris Rock test. So we have a new rival for Axe this season, and his name is Mike Prince. Jesus, he is a snossage 101, right? This guy is such a phony, baloney bullshitter. So this in this episode, there's the big Mike conference that they have, and Mike ends up, you know, flying himself in to his own conference on his seaplane. I mean, he walks out and he's laughing and people are cheering for him. And this guy he pretends to be really humble and that he's all about everyone else and that he's not a monster like Axe and, and, and you know, a lot of the other folks that are, you know, in the, uh, uh, you know, the, the industry that he, that he's in and that he's not a vulture like all these money, money men and women. But, uh, he, he is such a, a he does such a great job. Um, you, you'll recognize this actor if, um, if you watched House of Cards, 
which unfortunately we can't even talk about like House of Cards much anymore because of all the spacey stuff. But um, did a really does a really really good job playing this Mike Prince, who I can't wait to see more between him and Axe throughout the season. So some other major uh, things happening in this episode. So Axe, it's great. Axe and Chuck are starting to play each other again, right? So Axe is now helping the district attorney Marion Graham. Because he asked Chuck for a favor In last week's episode And Chuck helped him And because of what Chuck did He actually Axe ends up using it against Chuck It's actually brilliant And so They uh, The New York governor Buffalo Bob Is going to give Graham The Ability to preside over all the criminal referrals Instead of Chuck so now Chuck's, Chuck can tell that this is a move that Axe made. And Dollar Bill in the head. Dollar Bill's in a slump. Dollar Bill is becoming one of the uh, the the older people in the office who feels like the dinosaur when new young up-and-comers are coming in and they're making a lot of money. And so he feels like what he's doing isn't working anymore. And so Bonnie... Doesn't want anything to do with him because he's not making money and, and Until She actually offers him Some pity sex And he doesn't even want to take it So Dollar Bill, he's in a rut He he goes and he asks some of the new folks From Taylor uh, Mason Capital To help him out But they it doesn't end up working out Things just not going well for Dollar Bill He's going to have to get back on track The the storyline, you know, throughout most of this show is, you know, the the guys at the conference, Axe, Wags, and Taylor, um, uh, at the, the 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 Mike conference, and they're trying to work the room. They're trying to, you know, they're not there just for the conference. They're obviously making moves, and their big move is trying to get this le- this synthetic Icusa legalized. And with the shaman and the vision quest from the week before, they think this is something with the the synthetic version that they can get this as a you know a, a new business venture. Meanwhile, Chuck and Wendy, they're at odds. Chuck's actually going to a therapist. He's trying to work through some of his problems and he starts to reference Dexter, which is really funny because he mentions Dexter's dad and uh, the book um, he's not talking about Dexter necessarily the TV show, but ironically that show was on Showtime, which is the same network that you know Billions is on. But he talks about the novel Darkly Dreaming Dexter. And he mentions the dark passenger and he mentions how Dexter's dad set up this code for him that he would have to follow. So now Chuck is going to try to follow, a, I guess, a similar code and not be as much of a bad guy. Maybe only uh, go after those who have who are already the bad, not necessarily mess around with his friends and family and pawn people around. Unfortunately, we get a uh, Judge Adam DiGiulio, one of Chuck's buddies, who shows back up and he's asking Chuck for help. Um, but we, we find out that the only reason why he needs help is because Chuck screwed him over to begin with. There's actually an incredible scene where um, 
you know, DiGiulio gets caught because he, he, he writes a memo talking about how he's, uh, he's okay with torture. And Chuck is trying to make this, you know, prove that the memo is BS. He lets himself be waterboarded just to see if it really is torture. And we just see him afterwards where he's all disheveled and completely soaking wet. This show is amazing. The pop culture references and some of the the stuff that you just go, what the hell just happened? So... Mike and Axe at the the big conference, they have this fireside chat where they go back and forth. And this was a really good scene. And Mike is just a, you know, he's trying to, to tell everyone that he's a nice guy. He thinks he can both be a billionaire and, and, a, and a nice dude. And, and, and Axe is kind of on the opposite side. And, and Mike is the kind of guy who's always giving everybody else credit for helping him along the way. Whereas Ask, 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 Axe is a... He, he knows he's a monster He knows all of them are monsters And that's why they have been so successful Getting to where they are Axe will tell you right to your face What he thinks of you Mike is going to bullshit you and weasel you And then kind of stab you in the back they're, they're two different kinds of monsters, right? I just love their interactions I can't wait for more and more and more of it So Wags, he's doing his work And he's trying to Secure um, some partners for the uh, uh, the FDA approvals, and he's trying to get some of the their next their next project worked in with the shaman and the vision quest and the Ayakusa. And he's out at a strip club. He's whining and dining, and he sees his daughter. Her name is Brandy. She's actually named Mandy. And this is where Wags walks in and tells Axe that he has failed the Chris Rock test. His daughter is up. On the pole Sorry Wags And sorry Oh Mandy And you came And you gave Without taking Mm, But I sent you away Oh Mandy So Axe is at this conference To get this You know Project With the synthetic Ayakusa all, All worked out But You know who's one step ahead of him Mike, because right as Axe is about to have his whole plan kind of set into uh, into place at the end of the episode, we see that Mike stole his shaman. Axe actually says that to him. You stole my shaman. The shaman's name is Brom Long River, and he's apparently, you know, uh, got a lot of buzz. And uh, it looks like Mike's going to be working with this shaman now, the shaman who is no longer... Axe's mutual shaman So Towards the end we see that Axe has a new idea He wants to be a banker He says you know He thinks it's a safer Future maybe something exciting And a way to, to continue to go bigger We also find out that Chuck Was the one who set up that torture memo And got DiGiulio His buddy in a weird place of hot water too Because Chuck is always doing something For his own benefit, right? He's always moving the pieces on the um, On the chessboard Before we even realize what he's doing So what Chuck ends up doing here Is Judge DiGiulio Ends up 
going and serving as the Solicitor General instead of a spot that he wanted because because of the memo that came out. Chuck, in doing so, Chuck is going to be able to use DiGiulio to help him when he's the Solicitor General and to help Chuck, you know, with, with things he needs to get passed and going straight to the, the Supreme Court. So now Chuck with uh, with Sacker, who's kind of helping him, and she's kind of being uh, the Dexter father character, right? He tells and jokes about his dark passenger and how he doesn't want to to be this guy anymore. But she can see through him; she can tell. At the end, we see Chuck talking to Taylor, letting Taylor know that Chuck knows that they're all kind of screwing each other over. They're all they're all triple crossing each other. And Chuck just wants Taylor to know that Taylor should trust Chuck. A lot of Dexter in this. A lot of uh, billionaires up at bougie snow cabins flying in on uh, on on seaplanes. But damn, this was good. We'll see how uh, how Dollar Bill can get off the Schneid. We'll see what happens with Wendy and Chuck. And we'll see uh, Axe and Mike. Can't wait to see where the rest of the season takes them. That's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. Make sure to subscribe, download, rate, and review. Share the show with your friends all over. And keep an eye out for another episode coming out in the next day or two where we focus in on uh, the weekend horse racing. We're going to go through some of the NFL schedules. And we're going to recap an old wrestling show. Have a great Wednesday, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.